Perik Dalit Mishnah Gimel. This Mishnah considers the rights and benefits of a Yavam and the properties of his Yavama before he actually consummates a mitzvah of Yibam. Once the Yavam performs a mitzvah of Yibam, the Yavama becomes his wife in every respect. So, whatever the rules are between man and wife in terms of man's rights to his wife's properties will apply. The question is how does it work when she is a Shumeris Yavam? This woman's husband just died, he has no children, he's survived by a brother, and now she's awaiting Yibam from that surviving brother. We know that at this stage exists between the Yavam and Yavama a Zika bond. In a sense, the very fact that the Torah wants them to marry makes them quasi-married already. So the question is whether at this stage the Yavam already has any kind of halachic jurisdiction over the Yavama's properties. Now as mentioned, in the case of a conventional marriage, a husband does have such rights. Specifically, husband is entitled to any yield that comes from his wife's properties, and also in the event that she predeceases him, husband inherits all of her properties. However, these laws only come into effect when the marriage is consummated through Nisuin, or Chapa. Before that time, even if they already performed Kiddushin, give a ring and said, so she's Aishas Ish, She's only permitted to him when in terms of the monetary benefits that a husband has vis-a-vis his wife, those do not apply yet. But the Mishnah Ksubis presents a dispute between Vesham and Hillel as regards whether there is a certain level of jurisdiction a husband already has after Kedushin before Nisuin vis-a-vis his wife's properties. Specifically, is it okay for this man's Arusa to go and sell her properties at this stage? Shammai says, yes, there's nothing wrong with that. Because the fact is, right now, her Arus her husband has no rights in her properties. She's free to sell them. However, according to Ms. Hillel, once Kedushin has happened, even though we're before Nisuin, she's not supposed to go and sell her properties. For her Arus husband has a future interest in them. True, he has no right to the yield now or right to inherit them now. But there's an expectation you know, upon Kedushin of him receiving that. Upon the anticipated Nisuin, therefore she shouldn't go and sell those properties, even though Nisuin has not yet happened. The Mishnah states, Shomeris Yavam Nechasim. We have a case of a Shomeris Yavam. So this woman was married to Ruvain, who died without any children, and was survived by a brother Shimon. So now she's awaiting Yavam from Shimon. There's a Zika bond between her and Shimon that will either develop into a full marriage through Yibam, or be ended through Chalitza. Let's say at this stage, before Shimon acted, before Shimon consummated the Yibam, some property fell to her. She, let's say, inherited some property. The Mishnah states, Modim Beishamei Beishilel, both Beishamei and Beishilel agree, even Beishilel agrees, Shemocheres Venosenes Vekayim. There's no issue whatsoever for her to go and sell those properties. She wants to liquidate them, then that's her prerogative. And the point is that even the students of Hill agree that in this case, the Rabbana didn't restrict her right to do that, based on the fact that the Yavim here has you know, anticipated rights in her properties since he's on track to marry her. So maybe this is similar to a situation of Kiddush, and the Mishnah says no. This is fundamentally different from a case where a man actually was a Makadish woman, because of course... The Yavim may decide not to marry her at all, but instead to release her from the Zika bond through Chalitza. 
And thus, even team base Hillel agrees that this Shemeris Yavim Nisivama is perfectly allowed to sell these properties that she inherited. The mission now discusses how it works in the event at Mesa. Say, after Ruvain died, his widow passed away herself. The question is, What is done? Who wins the rights to, first of all, her ksuba? And by this word, the Mishnah is referring to two different things. First of all, there's a statutory one or 200 zuz payment that's normally paid out to a woman in the event that her husband either divorces her or predeceases her. And also included in this term ksubasa here is the nechseit son barzel. This refers to properties that Reuven's widow brought into her marriage to Reuven, where the agreement was that Reuven basically takes full control of the properties, just with the understanding that at the end of the marriage, if he divorces her or predeceases her, then she shall be able to collect the value of the property she brought into the marriage exactly as they were valued at the beginning of the marriage. In addition, the Misha says we have to ascertain what is done in this case as regards the Nechasim and Nechnasim Yotzinima. This is a reference to any properties that she brought into the marriage to Ruvain that are cataloged as Nechse Malug, meaning where she retains the title to the properties, she's not like giving it to her husband for the marriage. If she retains title, just he manages the property and keeps any yield therefrom. The point is that halachically, she retains a more of a jurisdiction over the Nechsim Luk properties than the Nechsim Sombarzo properties. So again, in a simple case where, let's say, a Ruvain died before her and left no brother, well, then this would be very easy. Ruvain's estate would have to pay out all these things, pay out the statutory Ksuba amount, plus the two types of property, the Nechsim Sombarzo property and the Nechsim Luk property. And that would be the end of it. We're discussing a case in which Reuven was survived by a brother Shimon. And the idea of Yibam is that Tar is basically saying that Shimon should take over this marriage. And indeed, if Shimon had consummated Yibam, then he would be literally in place of Reuven, and he would take over all of those things. He wouldn't have to pay out any ksuba, or hand over the nechse tzambars, the nechse melug. And you look at him like he's Reuven. Therefore, whatever the arrangement was between her and Reuven would then apply uh, between her and Shimon. And uh, certainly, if she then died, then Shimon would inherit everything. But in our case, she died before Shimon consummated the Yibam with her. The Allah in this case is much less clear. Again, we have to separately deal with each component, the basic payment, the Nechsitz on Barzel properties that she brought into the marriage with Ruvain, and the Nechse Maluk properties that she brought into the marriage with Ruvain. Now, the asset type mentioned last in the Mishnah's question here was you know, what's done with the Nixim Maluk properties? Once again, it means that, let's see, you know, while she was married to Ruven, she inherited some properties and they were cataloged as Nixim Maluk. So, meaning she retains title, Ruven manages it, works the field, and keeps the yield. The Gemara explains that even though all three were just mentioned by the Mishnah, Ksuba Nixim Barza Nixim Maluk, the opinion the Mishnah presents from Beishamai is focused specifically on the Nechse Malug, where again the arrangement is that she retains title and he just manages, keeps the yields and the properties. Regarding those properties, Beishamai Omrim, students of Shamai rule, Yachloku Yorshe Habal Im Yorshe Ha'av. 
the heirs of her original husband, Ruvain, which in other words is Shimon, equally divides her Nechzim Luk properties with her father's heirs, like her own family's heirs. For the students of Shammai, consider the possibility that as regards these prior properties, properties that she inherited before Ruvain died, that we view Shimon as married to her immediately upon Ruvain's death, based on the fact that there's a mitzvah even between Shimon and her. Maybe we regard that as if they're married and as regards the prior properties. In which case, this would be deemed a situation where the wife predeceased her quote-unquote husband. Again, Shimon is not literally her husband, but halachically, there is this at least a possibility that he's considered her husband as far as the properties. And of course, if the wife predeceases the husband, well, then the husband inherits everything. But again, it only gets up to the point where it's like a maybe he's the husband. Now, maybe he's not considered the husband even in this sense, which would mean that Shimon essentially, in terms of inheritance, would be considered a total stranger. So who would inherit? Okay, whoever's next in line to inherit. It could be her father, whoever the closest relative, whoever's in line to inherit her, her blood relative. And so because of this uncertainty, the practical halacha is that the Yosheh meaning Shimon, and her side, her blood relatives, equally divide the Nechse Malug. The Mishnah says further, that the students of Hillel said that Nechasim where explains Basila now is going back to the property type mentioned earlier of Nichzeit Son Barzel, where the husband takes full control of the property for the duration of the marriage. He says regarding that property that Ruven had full control of, and Ruven died, and then or she died before Shimon did Yibum. Say the students of Hillel Bechaskasin, those properties remain with whomever is deemed to be in possession of them. So this certainly is a vague statement. And it is the subject of great controversy in the Gemara as to who is Basil referring to, who is considered to be muhsik, to have halachic possession of the Nechzeit Sun Barzel property. Is this the husband's side or her side, her blood relatives? Basil doesn't state they're clearly one way or the other. So you have your opinions going both ways in the Gemara. Shulchanach rules that halacha in this case is that uh, the two sides would divide the Nechzeit Sun Barzel properties evenly. Just like Beishame said regarding the Nechse Malug properties, and the students of Hill continue Ksuba as far as the Ksuba payment, the statutory 100 or 200 Zuz Ksuba payment that's collected by the wife when her husband dies before her. Our case where the husband was survived by Shimon and then she died before Shimon, so this, according to all opinions, is Becheska's Yorshe Abal. The Yavim side, Shimon side, wins this dispute. But as far as the Ksuba payment, we say that the same way that if she predeceased her actual husband, Ruvain, obviously she wouldn't collect the Ksuba. So to here, where Ruvain was survived by Shimon, who, you know, there's a mitzvah for him to, to continue this marriage in essence through Yibam, it's considered that you know, she died first and therefore she does not collect the Ksuba payment. And finally, Basilo now will argue with Beishamai, as regards the Nechsim Malug, again, those properties that she brings into the marriage and retains the title of, if she had such properties with her marriage with Ruvain, then Ruvain died, and then she died before Shimon, those Nechsim Malug properties are left with her family side, her blood relatives. For the students of Hill or the students of Shammai, the students of Shammai had said 
that the zik itself, the fact that this woman fell in Yim Teshemin, creates a kind of a halachic possibility that we deem them as married based on that zik alone, as if Shimon already consummated the marriage. Therefore, the students of Shamir ruled that his side, Shimon's side, gets half. But the students of Hill say there's no such thing. The zik alone, the fact alone, there's a mitzvah to marry her, doesn't create even the possibility that, you know, we say it's as if they're already married. As a result, what you're talking about property is that even while she was married to Ruvain, she retained jurisdiction over. So now that in the end, the Shimon ultimately did not consummate the marriage through Yibam, Allah is clear. You know, upon her death, who inherits are her blood relatives. Shimon can't touch the Nikhse Malug properties.